today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Nearly every one of them, they declared that only a few people, sometimes in the case of only two people, were saved. Many of them speak of the flood being only kind of regional, but many of them also speak that it was a worldwide flood. So along with the various cultures that again, in their traditions, not because missionaries had come and read to them the early chapters of Genesis, but because in their culture, there is a memory of a great flood. Not only do we have that, but there's a lot of scientific evidence that there was a flood, and yet they willfully ignore these things. Many of us are probably all too familiar with the old saying, ignorance is bliss. While this might have some practical application for things that are less than important, this type of mindset can be extremely dangerous regarding things that are. In today's message, Pastor David reflects on the hearts of those who are willfully ignorant of the truths that God has revealed. In our study, we learn about the hard-heartedness of those who choose not to believe, no matter how much evidence is laid before them. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Willful Ignorance, from the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. The blood moon or the total lunar eclipses, we get those on a rare occasion. But to have the blood moon or the red moon or the total moon eclipses, the, the tetrads, the four of them in a period of two years, and that's the most you can get because, again, the way the solar system works, that's the most you can get in any four-year period. Those are very, very, very rare, and that's what got his attention. And so, again, he's started spouting his, uh, his declaration, his prophecy that the Lord is coming back sometime during this, most likely during the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And when people started talking, well, you know, the word says you can't set the day, you can't set the, he says, I'm not setting the day. I'm not setting the hour. He's just coming sometime during that festival. He didn't believe in the rapture of the church. Otherwise, he would have known that, again, the rapture of the church needs to take place first, and then there's a period of time before the second coming. But John Hagee, again, very popular San Antonio pastor, very pro-Israel, he believes in the rapture of the church. Well, he's not saying it's the second coming, but he's written a new uh, book, and he's got the book out that, again, it's the four blood moons, something is about to change. And he's saying that during that time, some major events, events are going to happen within Israel or to Israel. During that time, again, just the the prophetic uh, declaration, and as he's looked back over history and over time, he says, this has happened in in the past, and it's going to happen again. But let me ask you this. Again, you know, with, um, I don't don't think that John Hagee is a bad guy, but I look at this and I say, do you think that anything could happen to Israel over the next two years, whether we have a blood moon or a lunar eclipse or anything? Do you think that anything major can? Uh, Right now it's happening. 
right now. Many times the church makes much ado about nothing. And the world looks and laughs and scoffs. Ah, you've been saying that. When in reality, the truth is, is yes, Jesus is coming. And yes, the rapture of the church is going to take place before that. Beloved, every time we start losing our focus and try to focus in on dates or times or seasons, and we've been wrong about that over and over, and well, every time we've done it in the past, we've been wrong, amen? We're still here. Why can't we simply say, the Lord knows the day, the Lord knows the time. I want to be found ready whenever that time is. And I'm not going to get all sidetracked about the the changing of a a millennium. I'm not going to get all sidetracked because remember the Hale-Bot comet, that was another thing it was going to usher in. And, And all of these things that, again, the church gets so excited. Well, there's a plethora of books out there or articles or websites out on the internet right now about the blood moons. Uh, You can look it up yourself. I just wouldn't spend that much time with it uh, myself. So some of the things we need to continue to bear in mind, we don't want to be ignorant of the facts that, yes, Jesus is coming. We don't want to be ignorant of the fact that, yes, these are the last days. We need to understand that. The last days began, again, with the birth of the church, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and the birth of the church set in motion those last days. We need to not be ignorant of the fact that Jesus says that no man knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We need to not be ignorant of the fact that throughout his teachings, Jesus, as well as the apostles, they gave us a timetable to understand. Not a time, but a timetable. And we believe, again, that the Bible's very clear in the whole lineup of the second coming, that first and foremost, the rapture of the church must occur. When is that going to happen? Any day, any time. And I've been saying that since, uh, again, uh, I really became a believer in the early 70s, that Jesus can come any time. Does that make it any less valid today? No. I believe that it makes it more valid. The longer it goes, the sooner, or the, the more uh, intensity, I believe. The, the word of God also says that in those last days before the second coming, not only must the, the church be raptured out of here, but there's going to be a seven-year period that's called the tribulation period. During that time, the Jewish temple is going to be built. During that time, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And during that time, there's going to be, I believe, a second Jewish holocaust that, again, is going to way outnumber the one, again, of Adolf Hitler. All of that has to take place before the second coming, but the rapture could happen at any moment. I believe a worldwide scene is being set even right now for the fulfillment of all of these things. Even now, we see a lot of things that are taking place right now today that could change the entire world in only a day or a couple of days. There's events that are are set right now that should they happen, should they take place, The entire world will change. Right now, our buddy Vladimir Putin, he's on the move. How much can that change? It was just in March that we had the Winter Olympics in Russia. We were buddy buddies with Russia at that point in time. And now as soon as the Olympics are gone and the last Olympian's out of the stadium, he moves his army down into Crimea. Can the world change overnight? 
It can change overnight. Do you think that maybe this is setting the stage for an Ezekiel 38, 39 event where again all of these nations come against Israel? I believe that it could very well be setting that stage. The whole Middle East continues to warm up. Iran and Syria, they continue to be vocally and and actively antagonistic against Israel. They continue to support the Al-Qaeda's, the Hamas, the the Hezbollah, anybody uh, that would go against Israel. The support of Syria and Iran is behind them. Israel intercepted a ship on the Red Sea that was sailing from Syria that was going to that had a cargo of rockets that were made by Iran on a Syrian ship that was headed to be dropped off in Gaza. These are the kinds of things that are going on even right now. On that uh, ship were the M302 rockets that had a range of 100 miles. If those got into Gaza, they could hit all of the major population areas in Israel with absolutely no problem. One week later, March 12th, while our uh, folks were still over in Israel touring, CNN reported that over 40 rockets were fired from Gaza into Israel. Five of them hit populated areas. Four of them were shot down by their uh, missile defense system, and the rest of them just hit out in in, uh, farm and and field areas. Again, uh, they said this is the most substantial attack in in two years from Gaza into Israel. Again, we know who did it because they claimed responsibility. Uh, The Palestinian Palestinian Islamic Jihad called uh, Al-Quds Brigade. And again, they fired them to try and destroy or to hurt or bring harm to Israeli settlements. And on and on we could go about the Middle East. What about the world economy? Do you think the world economy is stable? It it, it could change in a heartbeat. It, It literally changes overnight. When Putin brought the Russian army down into Crimea, did you see what the stock market did? It did a nosedive, at least for a short time. And any kind of a major event, pretty much anywhere in the world, changes the world's economy. What about natural disasters? We've seen a tremendous amount of major national disasters in the last 10 years. We've seen major droughts, not only in this country, but elsewhere in the world. Major floods, not only in this country, but elsewhere in the world. China just overwhelmed with with floods just a a year or so ago. Uh, Australia has been in a drought for a number of years. Huge fires that at one point in time seemed like the whole continent of Australia was on fire. All of these things going on. Super hurricanes, these severe multiple tornadoes all coming down in one area, wiping out entire towns and communities. These horrific winter storms that we've had, earthquakes and tsunamis. When you look at the statistics on these, it seems as though, and these are looking at statistics, not that are being put out by evangelical websites, but these are being put out by geographical websites, the National National Geographic magazine, different ones that, again, that are stating these things. And it seems like they're not only coming more rapidly, but with greater intensity. There's so much more that we could look at. There's just a, simply a few of these things that if they were to happen, could change the world overnight. And all of these things, again, they, they can be looked at as, as just mere coincidences, or you could look at them with the absolute proof that Jesus is coming on the blood moon of 2015. You could either be in the camp of the scoffers 
Or you could be at the camp of the extremes. I want to encourage you to find the balance of it. That, oh yeah, I see these things coming. It's just time for me to open my eyes and tune my ears to say, Lord, is it going to be today? Am I ready for today? And instead of the scoffer saying, nah, we've always had hurricanes. We've always had tornadoes. Yeah, we have. But look at the intensity. Look at the number of them. Look at all of these things all added together, a multiple of things. Listen again of what Peter tells us. He says in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Second Peter, he says, for this, they, the scoffers, willfully forget. They're willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. It's so interesting how much doubt today is, is proclaimed in reference to the worldwide flood of Noah's day. Even though they're coming out with the big movie, okay, that has very little to do with the biblical account, the world by and large doubts that there was a worldwide flood. And yet in nearly every culture, nearly every culture around the world, they have flood accounts. They have, they have an understanding that years ago, millennia ago, a flood came, destroyed everything. And nearly every one of them, they declare that this was brought about because of an angry God. And nearly every one of them, they declare that only a few people, sometimes in the case of only two people, were saved. Many of them speak of the flood being only kind of regional, but many of them also speak that it was a worldwide flood. So along with the various cultures that, again, in their traditions, not because missionaries had come and read to them the early chapters of Genesis, but because in their culture there is a memory of a great flood. Not only do we have that, but there's a lot of scientific evidence that there was a flood, and yet they willfully ignore these things. Very quickly, let me just give you as the church a few of the evidences that either lean toward or they're, they're just outright proof that there was a worldwide cataclysmic flood. First of all is the polystrata fossils. So remember those. And then the next one, no. You know what a polystrata fossil is? Anybody in here? Neither did I till I read this, okay? I had absolutely no. Polystrata fossils are fossils that extend beyond more than one or two layers, okay? So in other words, they go beyond the, 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 the just, just being laid out. No, they're in a vertical state. And for most of those, it usually consists of fossil trees, trees that are buried upright, traversing through these different levels of strata. Again, they go through, they can go through sandstone and limestone and shale and even coal beds. And there's no other way to faithfully explain that somehow suddenly there was an overwhelming flood that went over those trees while they were still standing. If it was through the years, the tree would have died, decayed, and gone horizontal. But a quick, almost immediate event like a flood, boom, they remained standing and they were just filled over with the silt or the different layers. Do you know where they find these trees? All over the world. 
all over the world. And that's a fascinating thing to me. The fossils themselves, how are fossils made? Well, a fish dies, falls to the bottom of the ocean, becomes a fossil. No. If a fish dies and he goes to the bottom of the ocean, guess what happens? He either gets eaten or he just decays. Okay? The only way that fossils are made is when there's a sudden, immediate covering over it. And in the midst of that, there is not the decay. There, nobody's going to eat that at that point in time. And it becomes a fossil. Again, volcanic activity can do the same thing. Just suddenly go over it. Uh, the interesting thing is in the Grand Canyon right now, we find oceanic marine fossils in the Grand Canyon. Do you know where we find them? On what strata we find them? Nearly every strata. In other words, all these different layers, and they're finding oceanic marine fossils. Absolutely amazing. Now, uh, speaking of fossils, there's a whale of a fossil. Bones of a whale have been found at 440 feet above sea level north of Lake Ontario. Another skeleton of another whale was discovered in Vermont, but again at 500 feet above sea level. And still another one in Montreal, Quebec area, about 600 feet above sea level. Whales don't fly, okay? How in the world did they get up there? Another thing, a lot of you from the uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, you know about this one, Mount St. Helens. Three separate eruptions happened fairly quickly, produced this sedimentary type of, of layers, hundreds of feet thick. The third eruption was, was a lava flow, and again, it turned into this hot mud flow mix as it crossed the Toodle River. This hot mud flow not only diverted the river, but it carved a 17-mile-long series of canyons, some of them up to 140 feet deep. Beloved, that was only in a matter of hours, and yet it took millions and millions of years to make the Grand Canyon. No, there is a worldwide flood as the water, again, decreased from the earth. It could have made that canyon at that point in time. As a matter of fact, they call the canyons there on the Toodle River the Grand Canyon of the Toodle River. All of this to this very day, and we don't see it reported by mass media. We don't see the scientific community saying, wow, this is absolutely amazing. We got levels of strata here. We've got a canyon that's been carved in in this floor here. Amazing how that, no, we don't read about that. One other thing, real quick. This is something you can do at home. If you, any of you are homeschoolers, it's a great deal to do. If you've got children at home, it's great. If you're an adult, it's a lot of fun, okay? Take, take a big jar, okay? Take a big glass jar and put within that jar a mixture of sand, mud, and clay. Sand, mud, and clay, and then water. And then shake that thing up as much as you can. Get it all mixed up really, really good. And then set it on the table and walk away from it for a while. You know what happens after a while? You get sedimentary levels. Different ones, again, that set. Not because this one formed first and that one formed again and then this one formed. No, but because, again, of the material that's there. The levels came that way. And again, there's so, so much more that we could go into. You don't have time today, and plus it gets really deep scientifically and chemically and um, geographically and on, and I just, I just don't understand. I'm ignorant of those things. Okay, so we'll move on. But we do know, we do know 
that there is so much proof out there that if someone were to look at it with, again, with eyes, I'm saying even if you don't necessarily believe the Bible, if you're at least neutral on the Bible, and if you were neutral toward the atheistic scientific community, if you looked at it with unprejudiced eyes, I believe that there is plenty enough weight and factor there that says, you know what? This doesn't have to be billions and billions of years old. As a matter of fact, within the scientific community, microbiology that continues to go smaller and smaller and smaller instead of grander and grander and grander, as they go smaller and smaller and smaller, they realize this can't happen by chance. There's no way. This has to be formed in fashion. But do they dare speak about it? If you've ever seen anyone seen the movie Expelled, I would encourage you to get the movie Expelled. It speaks about scientists, some Christian, some non-Christian, that have a doubt in their mind about, again, this evolutionary process. They don't dare speak about it. Otherwise, they'll lose their job. They'll lose their grants. They'll lose their future because they dared push against the scientific community. Peter says these skeptics and these scoffers, they are willingly ignorant. They choose to ignore the truth in order that they might believe a lie. Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody fight so hard against the existence even of a worldwide flood? Because if the flood is true, then Genesis might be true. And if Genesis is true, then the rest of the Bible might be true. And if the Bible is true, there is a God in heaven. And there is a sacrifice for the sin of mankind. And man will stand before this God and give account of his life. So the world and the skeptics, they say, no, there cannot be a flood. There cannot be truth within this book because I don't want to be accountable. They are willfully ignorant, and in their ignorance, they reject the only God who can save them. He continues to reach out to them, yet they reject his existence. They reject his compassion because they don't want to believe in his judgment. We need our lives to be able to be aware that we can stand before God at any moment. At any moment, the rapture could take place. I understand that. But I also know that at any moment, a heart can become diseased. I also know that at, at, at any moment, we can drive and boom, like the accident that happened out here on Interstate 10 just a week or so ago, and a life taken. That's how quick you can stand before God Almighty. Is your life ready for that? You might say, oh, yes, I'm a believer. But are you really ready to stand before God even as a believer? How intense, how determined, how focused in your life are you? We could pass at any time through the doorway into eternity. Are you ready to be able to stand before him? And would you be standing before him as your judge? Or do you know today that when you stand before him, you'll be standing before your loving heavenly father? because you have that relationship. The life we're called to live as followers of Christ is not a simple one. 
And the Apostle Peter makes it clear through his second letter that it's a path that's easy to miss. So how do we stay connected to our Savior and walk out the steps He has planned? One way is to immerse ourselves in a community of faith. When we spend time with other believers, we can remind each other of the truth of God's great power, just like Peter reminded the early church. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If not, Pastor David has a personal invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. Is there some way we could be praying for you as you journey along your path with Jesus? Let us know by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We love to be able to speak with our listeners, lift them up in prayer, and answer the questions they have. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor David's study in 2 Peter today. Join us next time to continue the series right here on The Open Word.